0: You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
1: There seems to be a perception among Christians that Lutherans are somehow against holy living or against good works. And yet in the
2: catechism, we confess that we ask God's name to be holy among us and that this takes place when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as children of God lead
1: holy lives according to God's word. God says, be holy, be perfect, as I, the Lord your God, am holy and perfect. But does he really mean it?
2: Stay tuned for Equipping the Saints with pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline.
1: Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Noah Kirstein. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 60. Can you imagine that, Pastor? We've already done 60 episodes of Equipping the Saints. Uh Hard to believe, isn't it? Time flies when you're having fun. Time flies when you're studying God's Word and having fun. Aren't these
2: the same thing? They They are. are They
1: are the same thing. And uh, Vicar Kirstein has been able to join in that fun for... Many of these studies, and especially our walk through the book of James. Uh, Many, many episodes ago, we started a verse-by-verse examination of James. We started out very, very slow. Some would say painfully slow, especially Pastor Moline would say that. And uh, we worked uh, verse-by-verse, sometimes word-by-word, through the early chapters of James, laying the foundation and setting the stage we're uh, nearing the end of chapter 4. In our uh, previous episode, episode 59, we looked at verses, um, well, we said 1 through 10, but it was 5 through 10. And uh, we, we had to break 1 through 10 into two parts. There was just so much there. And uh, we want to begin today at James 4, beginning at verse 11. There... Um, There's a paragraph break in most of your English uh, Bibles, uh, translations, and uh, 10 and 11 are kind of set apart, and then uh, usually there's a little bit of a subdivision that comes with uh, verses 13 through 17, and so we'll see how far we get today. my goal would be to finish out chapter four. I'm not sure if that's possible or not, but um, we'll, uh, we'll let the Holy Spirit guide us in our examination and our discovering. This uh, chapter four, Pastor, in uh, many English translations has a subtitle that will be something about uh, worldliness, warnings against worldliness. Christian and worldliness, something to that effect. Uh, can you give us a, a, just a brief summary of verses 1 through 10 and what kind of warnings James is giving his hearers in this uh, particular section? <clears throat>
2: Yeah, uh, what uh, we're talking about in these particular verses is really um, the old Adam versus the new Adam fight that's taking place within each one of us uh, that manifests itself, uh, the new Adam Desires to live as a Christian and to serve God and neighbor. Uh, the old Adam wants to live for itself and to take care of itself above all other things. Uh, and that conflict taking place within each and every Christian and how it manifests itself um,
1: in our actions, in our words, in our deeds, and in our lives. I think that's a, a great setup for uh, the rest of our chapter. Vicar, do you want to read that whole section? Um James 4, 11 to the end of the chapter. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who
3: speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? all such boasting is evil so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails
1: to do it for him it is sin so we have kind of a continuation here this is the word of the lord thanks be to god Uh, we have kind of a continuation there of of what you said pastor this uh this battle between uh, the old adam that lives inside of uh all of us and uh, this new life in Christ. Uh, who, who are we going to follow? Uh, and specifically, the two problems, the two sins, the two manifestations of that evil in the first two verses are speaking against a brother. And in the uh, last uh, three or four verses here, we are talking about uh, arrogance, boasting, uh, pridefulness, uh, without regard to what God wants or what God says. And so we've got two specific things that James is addressing. More than likely, they were problems in his congregation. They continue to be problems today in, uh, in the church and in society. So uh, very, very uh, relevant things. We also have a couple of parts in this section that are terribly, terribly abused And you know when when somebody uh, tries to point out uh, a problem or a sin in someone else's life, the um, retort often is "Judge not, lest ye be judged." and uh, echoing the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, James says virtually the same thing at uh, the end of verse 12, who are you to judge your neighbor? And so we want to put that in the proper context of all of scripture, because we're talking about a very specific kind of judging that James is talking about here. And I think that that just goes over the head of most people. They're quick to go to that last sentence and not pay attention to anything that comes before. So I want to, I want to hit hard on uh, these first two verses, pastor verses uh, 11 and 12 of James chapter four, do not speak evil against one another brothers. Um, We've talked quite a bit in the book of James. When James says brothers, he means fellow Christians. He's not talking about pagans in general. He's talking about how a Christian should live his life. Am I right there, Pastor? And uh, why is this, if I am right, why is this such an important thing to notice and to emphasize?
2: Well, uh, I do believe that the word adelphon here does refer to fellow Christians. The word brother uh, meaning fellow Christians, and we can take that from the general context that James is writing to, uh, to his own members, to the church, to Christians, uh, as well as that term uh, brothers does indicate that uh, uh, connection to the church itself. And so we have to understand that's who he's talking to, and we've been uh, talking about that throughout the entire book. He's talking to Christians, that Christians ought to bear fruit, and that's not you're earning your Christianity by doing good works, but you are a Christian, and thereby you do these good works. And so that's why this is so important to not get this confused. Uh, I think really interesting here, I don't know if I answered all the question or not, Uh, What I think is interesting here is that in that one verse, he uses the same word three times, and that is kata laleo, uh, and uh, the kata there kind of intensifies the normal verb laleo, which is to speak, and so the word speak here is uh, more like blab, you know, to gab, to... um, Uh, slander, that sort of a thing that's taking place, the uh, jibber-jabber that you hear going on all the time uh, behind people's backs and undercover, so that, uh, you know, the gossip sort of thing that's taking place. And so that's the specific thing that he's talking about that Christians ought not do uh, against one of their fellow members.
1: So are we talking uh, specifically Eighth Commandment kind of sins here with... uh bearing false witness, uh, gossiping, uh, lying about, these kind of things?
2: I think that's where we're headed, yeah. Um, And that's kind of what is implied by the word that's being used here, kata laleo. leo. So we have the speaking and the kata intensifies it, so the jibber-jabber behind people's back. Uh, I think as we move into Chapter 5, we're going to see very specifically uh, where this is directed and kind of it actually sets – frame of reference for the rest of the book that we've covered already as well, on who's doing these things that we have an issue
1: with. So. But, I mean, this was a problem in James' time. We we really don't have this issue today, do we?
2: Yeah, thank God, right? Nobody uh, gossips. <laughs> my, t- my tongue
1: is firmly planted in my cheek.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is a problem that we have now, and even within Christian congregations you see this taking place. And that's why James is uh, addressing it directly um, and even um, teaching us how we ought to live here in our modern time.
1: Vicar, I'm going to ask you a question, and uh, you can punt and defer to Pastor Moline if you want. But throughout the scriptures, throughout the book of James, the Holy Spirit, in talking in general terms to Christians, often uses the male gender, the male term, brother. Um, it's implied, brothers and sisters. Some translations add sisters in, even though it's not in the text. Um, why is it significant that the word brother is used here when referring to fellow Christians, both male and female? That's a good question. Um
3: In short, boy, there's a whole lot that could be said about this, but in short, what it means for Christians to be brothers is that this is a this is a familial term, right? This has to do with the family of God, and we have been made sons of God through holy baptism. And we are now— Galatians 3. In, we now are inheritors of the things which Christ provides for us uh-huh. and has won for us.
1: Aha. Uh-huh. So we have, we have some uh, heir, H-E-I-R, inheritance implications whenever that uh, brother word is used. Keep going.
3: Right. And because we have been baptized into Christ, Christ is our brother, and we are sons of God— God is our Heavenly Father, and this sets up the relationship that we have to one another, is that we are sons of God and brothers of Christ, and by that we are also brothers to one another. And so the Holy Spirit has, in his wisdom, chosen to address the whole Christian congregation through this word, brothers, and it teaches us about the salvation that we have in Christ and so when modern translators throw in brothers and sisters
1: um, you're actually losing some of that teaching I, I pastor uh, I think that's very well said uh, do you want to add anything to it you see the time no
2: I think that is very well said and I uh, Um, I think it's the words that Christ even greets people with at the resurrection, right? So when he gets up from the the dead, uh, he says, go and tell my brothers um, that uh, I have been raised from the dead. And he even says, your father, my father as well at that time. And uh, that indicates the relationship he's talking about.
1: All right. Well, on that note, we'll come back to James chapter four after our break. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Kirstein. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for joining us as we are working our way through the epistle of James. Uh, we are in the section James 4, 11 to the end of the chapter. Uh, concluding thoughts on warning against worldliness, verse 11 of chapter 4 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Uh, and we, uh, we emphasized uh, what, what kind of speaking evil we're talking about. It's like uh, gossip on steroids. Um, it is a slanderous kind of talk directed against a fellow Christian. And this should not be. We, uh, we also talked about the importance, the significance of that word brothers and uh, the imagery that the Holy Spirit gives us that gets watered down when we make that a generic term or say brothers and sisters or whatever. The second half of verse 11, Pastor, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, one of the things I noticed in my preparation, Pastor, and uh, maybe surprised that I prepared for this, but uh, one of the things that I noticed is that what is translated in the ESV and several other translations as the law, is not the law in the Greek. It's just law. Now, that does not read very smoothly. It does not translate very smoothly. But it appears to me, and I I really would love uh, your comments, and Vicar, if you have any comments as well, I really would love your comments on this because normally... When James is talking about the law, he is talking about the Mosaic law. He is talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the ceremonial law. He's talking about uh, things that pertain to the Jewish life. But here, it appears to me that he is talking about not the specific Ten Commandments or the moral law of the Jews, but he's just talking about law in general. So, am I making too much out of this? Uh, what are what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, that's a complicated question to answer. Uh, in the simple sense, the definite article is not in there, right? So it does not have the definite article before any place that it puts the law. All right, so it could be a law, it could be the law. What the question would be uh in all of these uh, translations is uh, is it implied by the use of the word namu uh, Namas is it uh, meaning just a generic law or is it talking about the well known law and in it you cannot in all cases um, make a word without the definite article definite um in some cases, you can make it that way, and sometimes you cannot. It is not a clear-cut rule. So another example of this, that that this is a specific construction, so it's a little different. And I don't, I'd have to look see if this construction is there. But John one one, um, the Jeho- Jehovah's Witnesses say, uh, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was a God." not the God, that's because the definite article isn't there. But that particular construction indicates that it is definite, even though the word the isn't there in the Greek. And I would have to do some looking and thinking and maybe grab a book uh, downstairs to see if that is the case in this particular instance or not. If it requires the word the in our understanding, because it is the well-known law, the Torah, uh, or if it can just be jud- or
1: translated as a law. Well, I just happen to have a book in my hand. And let me just share with you, uh, Lenski does not talk about it a lot. Mm-hmm. But on page uh, 636, flowing over onto 637 of Lenski's commentary on James, he says, nomos does not equal the law. James does not use the article of previous reference when he mentions law the second time. He keeps the word purely qualitative throughout. The reason is obvious. He is not writing to Jews, but to Christians. Hence, he does not say the law, that is, the Mosaic Code. He has already spoken of law complete, the one related to or marked by the true liberty chapter 1 verse 25. Also of royal law, chapter 2 verse 8. And so now again, writes simply law. The idea that James refers to the Torah and that he has in mind the old rabbinical controversies about unnumbered differences of opinions with regard to legal observances and disputes of his readers about what was and what was not a true Torah observance. Each vilifying the other who differed from him is unsupported by the context. That's Lenski on the lack of the article with nomos or law. What do you think? Are you buying that? You think that makes sense?
2: I mean, I could definitely see that being true. Uh, I could also see it going a different way, and that's a question that, like I said, I'd have to do a, a lot more research. And there's a, it depends on the Greek construction, and there's a whole series of particular constructions that. Uh, require an article and ones that do not, and and I have to see where this would fit, and so I'm not prepared to say any more than that.
3: Okay, okay. Vicar, any thoughts on that? Um, I'm in the same boat as Pastor
1: Moline. Okay. I have to get the texts again. I'm just always nervous about adding words in the translation that aren't specific or very clearly um, implied, and uh, that's that's where my nervousness is, and yeah. that's that's why the Lenski quote uh, kind of uh, caught my eye.
2: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that, and uh, the only word <laughs> that that gets to be a challenge with is the word the, <laughs> especially, you know Latin very well. There is no the in Latin, and there's other cues that tell you if it is a um, definite uh, v- definite noun or an indefinite noun, and that's still the case in Greek in the sense that the definite article is fairly new in Koine Greek and isn't universal. And um, so maybe the question that would... I should ask you, Pastor Poppy, about it is what would that do to the translation and the meaning of the translation um, if it is just a law rather than the law?
1: Um, I th- I think what it does... Is it does not let Christians uh, who don't have a Jewish heritage, perhaps, it does not let them off the hook, because we are we are not talking about a specific uh, Jewish hangover problem of Jews that have converted to Christianity. We are talking about a universal problem that is for all Christians, whether you are a former Jew or not. That, that would be my, again, very off-the-cuff kind of a comment here mm. uh, with regard to this. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a general universal law from God that uh, speaking against a brother is, as we're going to get into, in effect, setting yourself up as judge and jury. And so you are rejecting God as God. If, if, I'm, if, I'm say, if I would say to Vicar, uh, as soon as you walk out of the room, you know, I, I can't believe that Pastor Moline drives a Ford. What the heck is he doing? Doesn't he know that Chevy and Dodge... Are the the vehicles of the working class and it sends a message that when you're driving a different vehicle uh, that you believe in God and you know s- some nonsensical thing like that but if I'm having this conversation and I'm running you down because of some silly choice I have set myself up as judge and jury on you and your actions uh, or did you see that pastor Moline rode his bike to church again? Who does he think he is? Oh, he's just trying to he's just trying to show off, you know, that that he's more physically fit than uh, you and me, Vicar, and uh, that he's virtue signaling because he wants everybody in town to see the bicycle riding pastor. <laughs> see, I have set myself up sinfully as judge and jury over an action that you are doing that depending on, I mean, as if I could read your heart could or probably is a good and God pleasing thing. Yeah. Now, I suppose your heart could be <clears throat> in the wrong place, but uh, that's not for me to say. I, th- I think that those things are what
2: James is talking about. I think that however we translate the word namos here, we can, we can come to that same conclusion. And finally to defend myself, uh, two things. You drive a Ford, also, uh, and uh, the reason I ride my bike is because it costs six dollars every time I drive to work and back home. Uh, so <laughs> the bike saves me money from driving that Ford. Uh,
1: yeah, there, there are homes available closer to church if you want to downsize. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough of that silliness. We uh, we touched on this topic, and uh, I want I want to uh, I want to make sure that our hearers are crystal clear on this. Pastor, how is speaking against a brother setting yourself up as judge and jury against that brother? Yeah, I, well, I think you were just kind of
2: explaining this, right, uh, a minute ago. Uh, when you speak against the person um, and you're doing it as a blabbing behind their back or to someone else, Or I mean, the, the word blabbing, that intensifying of the speaking means you're telling everybody about it. Um, what you're doing is that you are, in effect, setting up a comparison between yourself and that other person in regard to the, specificity, specif- the specific, there's a good word, <laughs> of that particular life. Specificity?
1: I can't even say the word either. All
2: morning. right. Well, the vicar's laughing at us both, so we'll make him say it here in a second. Practice, vicar. Um, you're you're comparing yourself to them and saying, look, they're not as Christian as I am because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, you can do it the other way around too, right? And say, well, um, this really isn't against the law, and, uh, uh, and so this thing is okay, it's beautiful, right? This is what we see a lot of in our world today. In either case, you're speaking against the law um, to either justify yourself or to slander your neighbor.
1: Vicar, when it says... Um but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. What does it mean to be a doer of the law? That seems like kind of a, an odd or unique way to talk about a Christian.
3: I believe we talked about this earlier in James. It's like a doer it implies that you are following, right? You're, you're obedient to the law. You are subservient to the law. You obey God's word and his commands and what he says um, over and against being the judge of the law, which is where you determine what's right and wrong and make up the rules for yourself or ignore what God's word has to say about the issue.
1: Uh, That's well said, and it does refer us back to James 1 about the person who looks into the mirror and then forgets what he looks like. Uh, Instead, be doers not just hypocrites or pretenders. Oh, we got to take a break. James 4. We'll be back with verse 12. Don't change that dial.
0: You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Kirstein. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln. If you're in the Lincoln area, come join us for worship. We are located just north of 40th and Old Cheney in Lincoln, Nebraska, on the south side of town. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday school for all ages in between. Wednesday evening service year-round at 630. All of our radio or all of our church services are broadcast live on KNNALP ninety five point seven. If you're outside the listening area, you can download the app or listen on our church webs or our radio website, thecross nine five seven dot org. We love your feedback as well. Uh, we are. Um, I suppose we've bogged down, or as Pastor Burt used to say, hey, there's a name from the past, uh, we have parked the car uh, a little bit longer at James 4, verse 11. It's a long verse, and there's a lot of stuff in there. We have uh, have talked about uh, what it means to speak evil against one another. We've talked about what it means uh, to be a brother in Christ. We've talked about If there is a difference between law and the law, the one thing we haven't really talked about yet in verse 11, Pastor, uh, and I alluded to it earlier, but uh, this judging part... And we, when you judge someone else, you're setting yourself up as God. You're setting yourself up as judge and jury. It's like you have better words, ideas, thoughts than the Lord uh, has. And then as we flow into verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, I think we need to take that verse, verse 12, in order to kind of set up that last phrase that is so often abused and misused. Pastor, there is only one lawgiver and judge, and I assume that James is implying it's not you. Right. <laughs> um, and, and that it is the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this one lawgiver and judge is the one, the only one, who is able to save and to destroy. Comments about James' use of how he describes God, both his person, lawgiver and judge, and then his work, save and destroy.
2: Yeah. um, There's a lot there, I know. I was going to say, we could do a whole episode just on this one little topic, right? Uh, I think what James is saying is really great. Um, The law... Um that law comes ultimately from God. And so we're talking about uh, you shall not have any other gods. you shall not murder, you shall not steal. all those things, that's God's law. He's the one who teaches it and says it, and uh, the God, the Lord, the law of God is good and wise. And if you talk against the law, or um, you throw it out, then you have set yourself up as above God. And this is what we see take place in our society all the time now, right? So is living together outside of marriage sin? God's law says what? Yes. Uh,
1: But what does society say? Absolutely. (laughs) Fornication. Society Uh, says
2: that's an old-fashioned thing, that no longer applies to us and what are they doing then they are blabbing against the law and thereby they are throwing out the one lawgiver and judge who is actually able to save and to destroy and when you throw him out which side of the save and destroy do you fall on <laughs> well
1: your your uh, your example there is uh is very very telling because christians are caught in the middle of this all the time the question is often asked with regard to um, a man and a woman dating, courting. Uh, chime in, vicar, if you if you can do so without getting yourself in trouble. But um, if if a young man or a young woman uh, they're they're dating, they're courting, they're they're trying to decide if uh, you know this is this is the one and uh, all that kind of stuff. Society might tempt you to ask the question. Literally, how far can we go without it being sin? And always going right to the edge, always going right to the edge, tempting, um, uh, be, uh, defying the words of Jesus, lead us not into temptation. And then if a young man or a young woman says, I'm not comfortable doing that. Um, I'm, I'm not comfortable uh, kissing. Or I'm not comfortable uh, being alone in certain situations because Jesus says, lead us not into temptation. What does the world say? (laughs) Oh, man, are you a prude? Oh, man, are you uh, are you one of those kind of Christians? Uh, you know, you're going to wear a head covering and a veil and uh, wear a three-piece suit to the beach? You know, these kind of things. So Christians are always on the defensive because the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh are always tempting us here to speak against the law of God, to speak against the word of God, to speak against morality. Do you think I'm going too far there, Pastor? No,
2: and that's exactly the problem. And then you see these people who say, uh, you know, Scripture says, judge not lest you be judged. Well, when you change the law, that's what you're doing. You're being the judge instead of letting God be the judge. And even, you know, people say this to their pastor when their pastor calls them out on a sin, but when the pastor's doing that, it's not the pastor's word. It's not like Pastor Poppy and all the rest of the pastors in Nebraska get together and say, okay, what are the rules? What are we going to enforce? What's what's right and what's wrong? It's God who has said this, and the pastor's job is merely to say what God's word says, and it's thereby not us being the judges. We're telling you what the real judge, God, says, And if you're outside of that, it's not because you're not against pastor uh, as a person. You're against God and his word when we do that. And he is the only true judge, the one who, uh, how did it say it again, Uh, can save or destroy. He's the one. And we have to let his word
1: stand up as the truth you, you you spoke eloquently there pastor and i i love everything you said you directed your comments primarily not exclusively but primarily to the pastoral office and i've had that told to me as well um, you know who are you pastor you're just a man you can't tell me what to do you can't put me under church discipline you can't you know all this kind of stuff um what about What about the person sitting in the pew? This is who James is speaking to. He's preaching to. This is who we are preaching to. Of course, we're preaching to ourselves. Very, very often, parents find themselves in this kind of a situation. The world is catechizing their kids on one way to live. God's word is catechizing them on another way to live. And the parents are caught in the middle. What about uh, same thing goes for neighbors, for ch- fellow church members, for employees and employers? Uh, all of these all of these things where faith and our lives, our vocations intersect. Uh, is it any different for uh, John Q? Lutheran or Mary S. Lutheran sitting in the pew than what you just talked about uh, as a pastor's role and responsibility?
2: Well, so in the, the answer to your question, I think that opens a whole nother can of worms that Uh, I'm not 100% prepared to talk about, but as a Christian, we can see ourselves in these different estates, right? So we have the family, which is the first one, right? And uh, within the family, there's authority, and there's parents, and there's children, and all these things are laid out in that particular estate. In the church, that's another estate, and the same thing. The pastor's the one who has the uh, office of authority, and you have the congregation, and you also have the estate of the government, right? And they have authority in some things, and then we are citizens in that authority at the same time. You have these different estates wherein these same ideas apply across the board, and we live in all three of these estates, and we probably should, should spend more time teaching and talking about those things. Um, like I said, I'm not completely prepared on that particular topic right here right now, but that's the truth across the board. So when the pastor says, here's what the law says uh, in the estate of the church, that's God's Working through that law to uh, affect someone. And a parent ought to do the same thing in their own home. And Government should do the same thing in our society, and that's the, probably the one that gets the most complicated and difficult because it's trying to control the other two estates <laughs> and not to let them operate independently with the authority
1: uh, behind all of these authorities ultimately being God. I, w- I want to give Vicar an opportunity to speak if he, if he chooses to. But, Pastor, uh, you, you've, got, um, you've got three daughters, and you and your wife together, uh, you as the head of the household primarily, but you and your wife will have rules with regard to dating, now, for your son as well, but I'm talking primarily about your daughters, uh, maybe at what age they'll be able to date, at uh, uh, you know, what types of dates they'll be able to go on at particular ages, and chaperone, and all these kind of questions. And I know you and I know your wife and you will probably be more on the conservative side with regard to what age you're going to allow your daughters to date. You know, Um, maybe that'll be... 18. Maybe it'll be 40. I mean, I don't know. Uh, and you'll probably be out cleaning your rifles when, they, when the young man shows up at the door. Um, people are going to talk about you and against you. They are going to tear you down as a brother in Christ for the choices that you and your wife make with regard to that. You, as a Christian have a right as i'm as I'm reading James 4 11 and twelve you have a right to speak up and to defend God's word with regard to your choices that's kind of where I'm going with uh, with this thing about applying this to the person sitting in the pew am am I am I tracking am I making any sense yeah and that
2: goes back to these the, the estates, estates. You, where you I are. as the father and husband in my family has a God-given authority um, to to teach and train my family in a particular way. You have and, jurisdiction in your family. Yes, yes. And the same then as a pastor, right? Where the estate where I really don't have authority, uh, at least in the way that it's working right now, is in the estate of... The civil estate, the government, and things like that. Now, technically, I do because I'm a citizen, and we're in a democracy, right? I know no, not a democracy; we're in a republic, but um, we have that idea that the people, we the people, have
1: that authority given to us by God. That's can the way you vote. You're right. supposed to have freedom of speech uh, and all these kind of things. So you know, you participate in the different estates as behind all these things though is
2: god and his word and his law that is true now you had yeah, d- been and, directing something at the vicar and i and, started and, answering and Your we're going and we're going to
1: have to we're going to have to carry this over and pick this up in uh, in our next section because we're out of time you can see how these two verses uh, James james 4:11 and 12 are just uh, ripe or pregnant with so many things for the christian We'll continue our discussion when we come back.
0: You are listening to LP, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Kirstein. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 60. It's uh, obvious that we're not going to get uh, real far uh, in our discussion with regard to the book of James. We've been focusing on verses 11 and 12 of James chapter 4. There's just so much here and so much to unpack Um We've got about 15 episodes with regard to uh, the book of James, so you can uh, check them out. All of our uh, programs are available at our podcast provider. Do a search for KNNA Theological Programming. KNNA Theological Programming, and uh, we started out on Anchor. Anchor got bought up by Spotify, but uh, that should be available at any of your favorite podcast providers, and so uh, check those out, and we've got uh, many, many other topics and programs available as well. Uh, Vicar, before we uh, dig back in, do you want to read James 4, 11, and 12 to get that fresh in our listeners' uh, ears? Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks
3: against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to
1: destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You know, we've been been working through these words here, Pastor. And uh, it seems to me that James is, uh, you know, many times throughout the book of James, he introduces a topic, and a little while later, uh, he goes back to that topic and expands on it. And we've seen this play out all the way uh, to this point in chapter 4. Earlier, uh, toward the end of chapter 2, and especially in chapter 3, he talks about sins of the tongue, and he talks about how the tongue is little, but uh, like, like a little rudder on a ship, it controls the whole ship. Or like a little spark, it can set the whole forest ablaze. And it appears to me that in these two verses, uh, James is uh, using that same sin of the tongue word picture, and he's just expanding it, and yet he's getting very, very specific with regard to this gossip word, uh, kata lalein kata laleo kata laleo kata lalein to, to speak but to speak against gossip on steroids and it it seems to me that James has is teaching us that what we think is innocent gossip and let's be honest most people gossip a little bit some people gossip a lot And most people would pass that off as probably being like the least offensive sin to God. It's just not that big a deal. It's just words. It's just words. That's kind of the general society's look at gossip. And uh, you see that play out all the time on social media uh, with all the rumors and innuendos and things. And now James is getting very specific here, talking to Christians and he's teaching how how devastating gossip is not how devastating gossip could be but how devastating gossip is like heaven and hell devastation that the roots of gossip are a denial of god setting yourself up as judge and jury and even to the point not only were you a lawgiver but you're 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 saying in a sense you belong in heaven you belong in hell and that all of this is wrapped up in verses 11 and 12. I've been I've been chomping at the bit to get Vicker's comments and impressions here. Uh, Vicar, first of all, do you think I'm overstating that case? And I had made some specific comments about you know dating and all that kind of stuff. Any other comments that you want to make with regard to how the world treats, Christians with regard to James 11 and 12. The floor I is
3: yours. I don't think you're overstating the case because right there in verse 12, James goes, There's only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and to destroy. So this is a matter of eternal consequence, this whole speaking against one another, gossiping against one another. Um, as far as relationships go and stuff like that, um, you can just see how the societal pressures always against Christians and even among Christians in judging how they think a relationship should go. It seems to me that the trend is always go as close to the limit as you can, get right up to the edge of the cliff, and that's where you should be as far as um, obeying God's law. Always push the limit, always... And, go and, right to the edge. And that's not
1: limited to dating and Sixth Commandment kind of thing. Right, things. that's everything. That's everything. That's whether you're doing your taxes. That's how fast you drive down the road. Uh, it's uh, uh, what you do with your eyes when you're driving down the road on a hot, sunny day and uh, scantily clad people are all around. I mean, it's every aspect of life. Go to the edge. Go to the edge. And that edge is always changing.
3: Right. And it is it really a Christian perspective or a Christian idea to always go right to the very cusp, right to the very edge of sin and say, yep, I'm good right here. Maybe one little toe hanging off the edge of that cliff. Uh, Or should we be a little more reserved in our approach to these things and give no appearance of evil and uh, protect ourselves in that way and not lead ourselves into temptation? which is what we pray that the Lord would not do.
1: And and in so doing, uh, we've talked about this before, we're talking about a proper Christian piety. And the world immediately, and even some Christians, would would see someone who's exercising even a small amount of Christian piety and immediately belittle them, gossip about them. Oh, what a pietist. Oh, you know, how easy it is for any of us to fall into that trap. And, and the, I think the
2: drunken peasant can fall off either side of that horse. That's exactly
1: right. <laughs> and so I think we need to we need to be constantly reminding people of the three estates, of what God expects of us in that individual estate or in our vocation in that estate, and what a proper Christian piety looks like. And we, we uh, as as you would say, Pastor, we have much freedom in that. We have much freedom. And we shouldn't be judging other people uh, in their freedom, as long as they're not crossing the line with regard to God's word. And then we have a duty to speak up.
2: And that's the interesting thing, right? When someone gets close to the edge or crosses over. So uh, say say some, I mean, we're talking back again about the pastoral office in this example, but say the pastor says, yes, the thing that you've done goes over the line. It is sin. How often in our world today does it get turned around and say, who are you to judge right? Um, the sexual ethics issues that are in our world, the response Christians get is, who are you to judge? Um, when a criminal has robbed a bank, you know, who are you to judge? They, you don't know their life circumstances. Well, that's the whole thing, right? Uh, we're not the judge. God is the judge, and he has said what's right and wrong. And Those words get used the wrong way over and over and over again. And that's what our response needs to be. It's not me. This isn't my decision. This isn't what I'm saying. This is what God is saying. You know, you know how often I say that in uh, premarital counseling with couples. It's not me. <laughs> if it was up to me, we wouldn't be talking about X, Y, and Z. Uh, we would just completely avoid it. But it's
1: God's word, and it's clear. And this is what it says. And to be a faithful pastor, and by extension, father, to be, to be a faithful ruler, Christian, or whatever your vocation is, you need to know what God's word says, and you need to speak what God's Word says. We speak the tr- truth in love, uh, Ephesians 4. And yet, this this is all wrapped up in these two verses here. I've got a, a little section here with regard to this judging. And, you know, you've talked many times about how James is often echoing Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount in uh, this wonderful little epistle. Uh, this is uh, Lenski, bottom of page 637, flowing over to the next page. The final question... Is crushing, And he's referring to, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Often taken out of context. The final question is crushing. Thou, whose position is at the side of thy brother, at the side of thy neighbor, thou who shouldst be a doer of the law, who maketh thou thyself as the one that judgest thy neighbor. James uses the thought that Jesus expressed in Matthew 7, Luke 6. Paul uses it in Romans 14. This flagrant, arrogant judging usurps God's authority, sets aside his law and judgment, and presumes to set up law and judgment of its own. The articulated uh, participle, ha-kirion, is a predicate opposition to thou as the one that judges. So he's saying, to gossip about your neighbor is the absolute worst kind of judging that you could possibly do. And then he goes on. James himself states the kind of judging he refers to, namely, katalalane, running down a brother. To think that this refers to all judging, would destroy the entire epistle, as well as all apostolic denunciation of the sins of the readers. Preachers are to voice God's law and God's judgment on evil conduct in no uncertain terms. Second Timothy 4, 2 Samuel 12, and brethren must likewise correct each other. But the judging that goes beyond this and aims only at tearing down the good name of a brother— by imputing to him false motives and intents is an entirely different matter. It is a flagrant us- usurpation as if we had the power to send to heaven or to hell according to any law which we may be pleased to dream up. Thoughts? Yeah, we let God be the judge. <laughs> that, I, think, I think he's saying it very well. I thought, I thought that was extremely well said. And for me, it really put into place um, a proper understanding of the Eighth Commandment. We all know that the Eighth Commandment takes a beating. We all know how easy it is to slip from a discussion into tearing someone down. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. It happens to every Christian. Uh, Some people thrive on it. And for me, it really was kind of a two by four along the side of the head saying, do you realize how terrible this sin is? This is not the least of the sin. In fact, in the second table, this may be the greatest because when I gossip, when you gossip, you are setting yourself up as God, a false God, but as God as judge and jury, and your words are implying that you are all-wise, like the all-wise Oz, and you have the power to save or to damn. Holy camoly. This is serious stuff. Pastor, we're about out of time. I'll give you the final words on uh, verses 11 and 12 of James 4.
2: And that's why I think we need to repent, right? The things that you just said. Amen. And that's, we repent of ourselves, of our sin, of our gossiping, and we trust in the mercy and grace earned by our Lord on the cross to forgive those sins. And that's our only hope for salvation. That's our only respite from this world. And uh, there's no one, no not one, who is above that repentance and faith.
1: And Christ Jesus has paid with his life, death, and resurrection for all of our sins of the tongue and for all of our kata lalain, berating and belittling our brother. Uh, thanks be to God for the peace that he brings. We'll be back in James 4 when we come back next time. Thanks for listening. On behalf of Vicar and Pastor Moline, God's richest blessings in Christ.